And as apostolic believers, simply meaning we believe in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, I believe, just like what we read in Scripture, that someone with blind eyes can see. Someone that's dead can be raised again. Someone, like, you can lay hands on the sick and they'll recover because Scripture tells us so. And we see example after example after example. And so we will pray oftentimes if you had a need. Our worship leader, Hannah, said today, you have a need. Come to the front. We'll pray with you. God can do it. And we believe that wholeheartedly. But what I believe that God's going to do today specifically is he's going to heal some emotions, I believe that it's not going to just be a physical healing, like I have a broken bone, heal the broken bone. I'm having a problem with my eyesight, heal the eyesight. God can do those things. But today, I believe that God wants to get way down deep and touch some things that maybe you're carrying or you're struggling with or you're going through, and no one else knows about it. It could be here today in person. It could be online. That you might be going through something. You're like, I'm not really interested in talking about it. I don't really want anybody to know what it is. You don't have to tell anybody. But I believe that God is going to tell you, and he's going to touch you today before you leave. Amen? The book of Isaiah, chapter 6, verse 1, it says, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me. This is the prophet Isaiah saying this. But then, of course, we end up seeing Jesus in the New Testament, he reads from this passage in the, in, in when we get to the Gospels. But it says, because Isaiah says, Because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, he hath sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. I'm going to preach on this topic. It's time for a trade. It's time for a trade. See, the the groundwork of the entire book of Isaiah centers around Judah's defection from God. God's people have sinned. They've done amiss. They've dealt wickedly. And the hour of vengeance is approaching. Punishment has begun, and it will, it will go on continually, increasing in severity. National repentance would avert God's judgments, but the nation would not repent. And so instead, they live in captivity without hope for years upon years upon years upon years. But then this 61st chapter of Isaiah comes along, and Isaiah stands and prophesies something that offers a glimmer of hope. Hope is a powerful medicine. If you get news, but there's just a glimmer of hope, you go, I, I, I hold on to that hope. And so this prophecy was eventually fulfilled. And when Jesus, of course, I reference this, when he starts his public ministry in Luke 4, in verse 16, he comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And his custom was he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And there was delivered unto him the book of the prophet Isaiah. And when he had opened the book, he found the place where it was written, the spirit of the Lord is upon me. And he starts to read what we just read. And in verse 21, he reads that passage and it says that he said unto them, this day, the scripture that I just read is what he's saying, is fulfilled in your ears. 
He reads that and he says, today it's fulfilled. And ever since that day, there has been hope. There's been hope for the poor. Hope for the brokenhearted, hope for those who are bound and a prisoner to something, hope for the physically or spiritually blind, healing for those who are bruised, battered, or broken. And so Judah, though, they didn't just jump up and cling to this prophetic word. Kind of like us, sometimes you might hear a preached word, I might hear a preached word, and it's a word, and it's powerful, and it's from the word of God, and it's alive, but sometimes we go, ah, Hmm, I'm going to think about that. If it's a word from the Bible, you don't have to think about it. You just got to cling to it. You just got to obey it, believe it, have faith. So Israel's history was one that was very often filled with oppression and depression. Even the most godly men and women engaged in such spiritual warfare. God's first anointed king, King Saul, he was so oppressed and depressed that he allowed himself to lose out with God. And you know what? King David was also oppressed and depressed at times. In Psalm 43, 1, it says, Declare me innocent, O God. Defend me against these ungodly people. Rescue me from these unjust liars. You ever pray a prayer like that? (laughs) Lord! I'm dealing with a bunch of liars. Help me out. These unjust people. He says, for you are God, my only safe haven. Why have you tossed me aside? Why must I wander around in grief, oppressed by my enemies? You can sense, you can sense when you read this. Depression sinking in. Within the heart and the mind of the anointed man of God. But immediately, there's a shift that takes place because he acknowledges, you don't have to come to God. God's got big enough shoulders, so to speak, that you can come to him and go, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm fighting with. Here's what I'm struggling with. Here's what I'm feeling. I'm feeling tossed aside. I'm feeling low. Here is what I'm feeling. But immediately there's a shift that takes place. And the difference between Saul and David is this. Saul allowed the oppression and the depression to overtake him. And he didn't fight back against it. He didn't resist it. David, he battled through it in the only way that he knew how. As a man after God's own heart and the apple of God's eye. And so what does he say? He lists these things. I feel tossed aside. I feel depressed. I feel discouraged. I feel battered. I feel like the enemies are surrounding me. But verse 3 says, send out your light and your truth. Let them guide me. Let them lead me to your holy mountain, to, to the place where you live. My goal here is not to be separated from you. I feel like there's a chasm. I feel like there's something between us. But what I'm running right now is I want to get back to where you are. He says, there I will go to the altar of God. Sometimes when we get discouraged, we're going, I'm not going to church. I'm done. I'm finished. People let me down. He's saying, I'm surrounded by unjust people. Enemies are around me. I feel tossed aside. But what I need right now is I've got to get, he says, I got to go to the altar of God, the source of my joy. I will praise you with my harp. Oh God, my God, in a in a time
time where he feels nothing good is going on in his life. He's surrounded by enemies. He's tossed aside. He pulls out his stringed instrument and he does what he knows to do. And he says, I'm going to begin to worship you. I saw Saul. He used to struggle with oppression. He used to struggle with evil. He used to struggle with enemies of his mind. And he would call on me to play this harp. So guess what? Sometimes even me as an anointed man of God, he says, I know that there's times I'm not just going to play my instrument to worship for someone else. There's times I got to get my instrument out and worship for myself. If you're here and you're a part of this praise team and the only time you're playing drums or playing a guitar or a bass or a second keys or a keyboard, the only time you're doing that is in front of someone else to lead them into worship, you're missing something. There's times where you got to get that instrument out and open up that vocal cord and say, God, I'm going to begin to worship you because right now I need to get to where you are. I need to get in your presence. I'm not just going to do this for someone else like Saul. No, God, I need it for me right now. And then he says, why am I discouraged? Why is my heart so sad? You ever done that before? I'm willing to admit I have. There's been times I have walked around and I feel something in my mind or my heart. And I go, God, what's going on inside of me? I ask myself that regularly because something will happen. And I'll go, what's going on in me right now? I'm I'm aware of that. God, what's going on? Why am I feeling this way? I want to be in tune with this right now. What's trying to attach itself to me. He says, why am I so sad? He says, hang on, I'm going to put my hope in God. He says, I will praise him again. From what I can tell in this passage, David was not saying, I feel like praising God. From everything I'm reading, this is not a good day. It's not a good season. The blessings of God are not pouring in. But he goes, I'm going to take dominion over my thought right now. I'm going to pull out my instrument of worship. And I got to get to where God is. I got to get to the altar. And I got to say, I'm not going to be discouraged. No, no, no. Why is my heart so sad? I will make a choice today. And my choice is this. I will put my hope in God. I just have been feeling hopeless He certainly was too. But he said, I'm going to make a conscientious decision that my hope is going to go in the one place where I I know I have never been failed before. You see, he's experiencing this. And depression is caused, you know, I'll tell you something God revealed to me, that depression is caused by some kind of oppression. I'll let you think about that. I'll explain that. I can tell you that until I went, I ended up going through, I remember a time in my life where I went through some spiritual battles and I still go through them, but I don't even think at that moment I knew the difference between oppression and depression. At this season of my life, it was a low point in ministry, my walk with God, and I was crying out to God, and he literally spoke to me and told me to look up the definitions of these two words. Here's what I found. Oppression is a a prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control. It's mental pressure or distress. Mental pressure or distress. Now, I know no one here ever deals with mental pressure or distress. Not on your job, 
not with your family, not with your finances. You never deal with that, right? Depression is feelings of severe despondency and dejection, typically also with feelings of inadequacy and guilt. Most depression is caused by some kind of oppression. Now, I will pause right here to go. Depression, I understand, can be caused by a chemical imbalance in our system that can be treated medically and needs to be treated medically. I believe God can heal all things. But if you're here and you say, I've seen a medical professional, they found that I have a chemical imbalance in my body, I'm on this medicine, I believe God not only will, he will use medical professionals to assist in this case. I'm, I'm not saying that everybody who's depressed just has a demon. I'm not, I'm not saying that. I want to be clear about that. When someone is depressed or dealing with feelings of severe despondency and dejection, feelings of inadequacy and guilt, it's often because of oppression. The prolonged, cruel, or unjust treatment or control, a lot of times that mental pressure or distress of oppression can cause the feelings of inadequacy and guilt and the feelings of despondency and dejection. However, whether we are depressed because of a chemical imbalance in our system or circumstances that surround us, I will say this. Satan aims to take advantage of you in your weakest, weakened state. He's, he, he, he often is not going to knock on your door on the mountaintop. A lot of times it's a knock on the door in the valley. When somebody's already hurt you, wronged you, and then he goes, ain't nobody there care about you. It's to where you already got a, some news from a medical, and they, and they go, and he says, this is hopeless. When the pastor preaches about baptism, you go, man, I've messed up so much. Ain't no way he's going to forgive me. It's, it's, a, it's at low points. Which I'll say, never make decisions in the valley. I'm, I'm leaving the church. I'm divorcing. I'm leaving my job. I'm doing this. Even practical stuff, okay? Don't make decisions in the valley. He oppresses us with all kinds of deceptive thoughts. If we allow Satan to do this. We allow ourselves to enter into this prolonged or unjust treatment. We give control away. As an oppressed person, we're constantly fighting mental pressure and distress. When we allow ourselves to live here too long without doing something about it and just saying, ah, it's just the season of life. Oh, this too shall pass. And David did not sit around just going, I just hope this passes at some point. David was proactive. There's times in the spiritual realm that we can't be just on the defensive. We actually have to be on the offensive. David was struggling, and he did not just sit back and go, I hope this passes at some point. He says, no, I got to go get my harp. I got to get to the altar. I got to start to call in the name of the Lord. I got to start to remember where my hope comes from. 
I'm going to start to worship, to sing, to praise, to do what I know that I have got to do. And that is where mature Christians, where we have to aim to get to, is we can't be led daily by how we feel in that day. We can't be led daily by how, because our heart and our mind will lie to us. It will lie to us, not only about the church, the people in the church, our own emotions. And so there's times where we go, no, 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 no. What I know to be true is not how I'm feeling right now. What I know to be true is not what I'm thinking right now. What I know to be true is the word of God. And so to me, I'm going to go get my instrument. I'm going to begin to worship the Lord. You know, even if you don't play an instrument, you begin to use that voice to worship God, to lift him up, to go, wait, why am I discouraged? Wait, wait, hold on. Why am I depressed right now? Why? No, I need to go back to the word and go, hang on a second here. I'm going to begin to lift up the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. Why? Because when depression sets in, whether it's situational, chemical imbalance, whether it's no matter what, I will say this. When depression sets in, your, your sleep, your eating habits, even your life can become in jeopardy because of mental anguish. And I will say this. This is not God's will for your life. God did not design us to go, I, yes. I want you to be suicidal, to be miserable, to be depressed, to want to sleep all day, to be discouraged. I know that we battle this at times. And even now as I speak this and even leading up to this message, I just feel, I feel almost an impression. I feel opposition. Because this is real stuff in the 21st century that even some of us here or online are dealing with right now. And God is a God of hope. We read about in Isaiah. He says, I've come to bring hope. But the devil wants nothing more than for you to sit here and listen to the word of God being spoken and you to sit here and feel hopeless. For you to sit here and go, yeah, but my situation is different. Through the Psalms and also in First and Second Samuel, we see how David was constantly surrounded by enemies. He spent most of his life either fighting or fleeing, fighting or fleeing, fighting or fleeing. Yet David was spiritually sensitive enough to remember, hang on, this is not a flesh and blood battle. Paul tells us this clearly in Ephesians 6. He says, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Depression and suicide are not new to our world today. It's just now classified, studied, researched. There's social media. We know people are more open a lot of times with their struggles. We're, we're, we're further along in our research and, and advancement of sciences and medical field. And so now it's something that's talked about more. But this is not something new. The devil's been attempting to oppress and de- de- depress people or individuals since the Old and New Testament. Not only did the devil attack the kings and the anointed men and women of God in the Old Testament, he even went after children and teenagers. And to my understanding, depression, suicide rate in high schools right now are probably higher than they've ever been. Mark 9, 17 says, one of the multitude answered him and said, Master, I've brought my son, 
which have a dumb spirit. And wheresoever he taketh him, he teareth him, he foameth and gnasheth with his teeth and pineth away. And I spake to thy disciples that they should cast him out, and they could not. That's a bad day for the disciples, right? He answereth him and saith, O faithless generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer you? Bring him to me. Get him in my presence. He didn't say, oh, then if they couldn't do it, then this must be a case. This, this must be beyond, I, can't, I probably can't touch this. This is probably, we need to send it. Luke is a physician. Somebody go get Luke. That's not a derogatory comment toward doctors. Go to a doctor. Doctors study and research and can be used by God. But the day, the day that I say what a doctor says supersedes what God says, I don't, I'm not going to say that. No matter what, I understand that at any moment, God can heal anyone of anything. And so... He says, you got to get him in my presence. So, so they brought him unto him in verse 20. And when he saw him straightway, the spirit tear him and he fell on the ground and wallowed foaming. I wonder at this point if everyone would be like, yeah, absolutely. We got power. This is where your, your, your nerves really get tested as to what you truly believe. In verse 21, he asked of his father, how long is it ago since this came unto him? And he said, of a child. He's been dealing with this since he's been a little kid. And he says, and oftentimes he goes further now. He says, it hath cast him into the fire and into the waters to destroy him. Can, can you imagine being a parent here? Don't just read the story. Put yourself in the story. Parents, your kid's struggling, foaming at the mouth, gnashing, throwing himself in the ground, casting himself into fire, into water, trying to commit suicide. This, this dad's going, I'm at wit's end. Only thing I thought, I heard some stories about you. And he goes on and says, if you can do anything, please have some compassion on us because we desperately need you. Again, we see depression, spirit of suicide. He's on the verge of, this sounds like a dad that's on the verge of losing all hope. And Jesus said unto him, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. That's a very, very generic statement in faith circles right now, but you got to, Got to pause there and if you want God to do something, don't ever get so distracted by the situation that you forget that God said, he didn't say I'm always going to do what you want me to do. I wish he did because I would have already given him a massive list. I probably already have given him that list. But he says, you got to remember some. If you can believe, anything is possible. This dad needed to hear that at this moment. 
his son's throwing himself in the fire, throwing himself in the water, falling on the ground, foaming at the mouth. He needed to hear Jesus go. Everyone else is freaked out right now. No one knows what to do. But now that you've gotten him in my presence, here's what you need to know. There's nothing impossible for me. Somebody here has to hear this, this, this same truth no matter what you are going through, personally, relationally, in your family, emotionally, physically, there is nothing that if you bring that into the presence of Jesus Christ, there is nothing that he's looking at in your life right now that's going, I got no answers. That's impossible. He starts by going, before I deal with your son, I want to talk to you. Do you have the faith to put in me? Because I'll tell you something, nothing is impossible for me. Dad needed to hear that. And straightway the father, the child cried out and said with tears, Parents, I think we could get this. I think something broke in that dad right there. He was feeling hopeless. It, it went from, I don't know what to do. If you can do anything, I mean, he's doing this, he's doing this, he's struggling. It started with just bringing him to Jesus. Once Jesus gave him the time of day and just talked to him, he said, let me tell you more of the story. Now, it's worse than I even initially gave you. And he goes, let me talk to you, dad. Do you have the faith that I can do anything? And something breaks in dad because he's he starts to cry and he goes, you just told me that nothing is impossible for you. I got a glimmer of hope right now. And so he says, I believe, help mine unbelief. Why? Because even our humanity, when everyone's around us and things are against us and the situation doesn't look promising, the doctor's not saying what they want to say. The spouse is saying they don't want to be in the marriage. The doctor's saying you're going to be on, uh, you're, you have a chemical imbalance. You're going to be on medicine your whole life. Everyone's telling you something and they're going, where's the hope? I don't have hope for my life, my mind, my heart, my salvation. I don't got hope for my child, my finance. Whatever it is, it's different for everybody. And even when there's a preached word and there's faith and you go, yes, yes, that makes sense. Oh, I want to believe that. But yet the minute you start to go, yes, I believe. Yes. Okay. Lord, but what is it? Sometimes we just need to go, God, I want to believe, but help mine unbelief because there's still this fleshly side of me that wants to tell Jesus what's impossible. Even though in our heart of hearts we go, he's God, he can do anything. I know he can do it. There's nothing impossible. If he said it, it's true. But there's times in this flesh that we still want to stand in the presence of Jesus and go, yes, but There's no way I can be healed. Years and years of offense and bitterness and anger. There's no way. How can that just be gone? I can't. There's no way depression's real and they said I'll always have it. There's no way. I just, I, I don't see it. Yeah, but, but now there's this disease and it's incurable. And yes, it's, it, honestly, I just don't see a way out of it. Yeah, we've been seeing a counselor for decades, you know, and it seems like now we finally reached wit's end and you're trying to tell me there's hope for my marriage. I'm just not seeing it. Lord, help. 
Help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. He cries out. Help my unbelief. In verse 25, Jesus saw that the people came running together. He rebuked the foul spirit, saying unto him, Thou dumb and deaf spirit, I charge thee, come out of him, and not just come out of him. God doesn't heal for a day. Come out of him and enter no more into him. And the spirit cried and rent him sore and came out of him. And he was as one dead insomuch that many said, he's dead, he's gone, he's just laying there. But Jesus took him by the hand, lifted him up, and he arose. Because in order for there to be true salvation, there has to be death, burial, and resurrection. There has to be death and repentance burial and water baptism, resurrection with the infilling of God's spirit. I'll show you this in the New Testament at some point if you're interested. But right now, he says, you know what? I think he's dead. Yeah, because something did die in him at that moment. It was walking after that demonic spirit. It was walking after that flesh. And Jesus says, nope, you're out of him. And now there's going to be a new life as I grab you by the, by the hand and lift you up. You look at another story, Mark chapter 5, verse 2. And when he was come out of a ship, immediately there, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit who had his dwelling among the tombs. And no man could bind him, no, not with chains, because that he had been often bound with fetters and chains, and the chains had been plucked asunder by him. The fetters broken in pieces, neither could any man tame him. And always night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself, cutting himself with stones. I want you to see that. He's crying in the daytime, and at night he's cutting himself. Chances are, every one of us might know someone who spends their days crying and their nights cutting. What we're dealing with in the 21st century is nothing new. It's always been around. It sounds like it's a severe case of depression right there. But when he sees Jesus afar off, he ran and worshiped him and cried with a loud voice and said, what have I to do with thee, Jesus, the son of the most high God? I adjure thee by God that thou torment me not. Here is a demon-possessed man that all Jesus does is walk on the scene and the demon inside the man has to bow. Because even in the demonic realm, there's an understanding of who has the true authority and power. And if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you have that same thing. Even the, the, even the spirits of oppression, depression, instantly recognize the Spirit of God. They're subject to God. He said unto him, come out of the man, thou unclean spirit. And he asked him, what is thy name? He answered, saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he besought him that he would not send them away out of the country. Now there was there nigh unto the mountains a great herd of swine feeding. And all the devils besought him, saying, send us into the swine that we may enter into them. Look at the dominion. 
begging him, send us into the swine. And forthwith Jesus gave them leave. And the unclean spirits went out and entered into the swine. And the herd ran violently down a steep place into the sea. There were about 2,000 and were choked into the sea. Notice this. The moment this evil demonic spirit went into the pigs, the pigs all ran off a cliff and committed suicide. Suicide is never God's will for your life. Now, I would say for the majority of us here in person watching online, that statement goes in one ear, out the other, because that's not something that you've contemplated. But for the person who could be sitting here or watching this and contemplate, this could literally save not only your physical life, but your eternal life. God, his will is never suicide. His will, because suicide reaches, happens when I reach the point where I go, I have no more hope in my life or my situation. This is the only option that I still have. You still have one more option, and that is to get into the presence of Jesus Christ. He can still do anything. He can still do the impossible. When everyone else is saying that nothing's possible, he can still heal, set free, deliver, Bring joy, bring peace. He can still do it. What will eventually begin to happen is that oppression, that anxiety in the mind, it can impact us, our heart, what we feel, our mind, what we think, our mouths, the way we talk. There are too many people in our world, and yes, even in our church, who are dealing with constant mental anguish and distress. There's no peace around your mind. You're constantly worrying about job, marriage, sobriety, salvation, legacy, finances, self-worth, health, church, and even your own ministry. And you have completely lost your joy. If you're not careful, nothing really makes you happy anymore. I know this is not a typical Sunday message. But I'm here to preach liberty to the captive. Healing to the brokenhearted. There are moments or seasons of brief happiness, but you can't ever get yourself to stay happy. You want to feel that way. You want to feel some kind of peace. You want to feel joy. You're trying to put a smile on your face. You're embarrassed about what you're feeling because you know what the Bible says. And you know it's unhealthy. And you've known people who were depressed and you never thought you would be one of them. And now hopelessness has flooded your life. And the most dangerous point you can be in is when you continue living like this and never acknowledging that you have a problem or that the attack is taking place in the first place. Oppression and depression, they're very spiritual things. There are too many Christians and even Christian leaders who are struggling from oppression. The mental anxiety is causing anguish and making Christians want to give up. They make you want to just throw yourself in the fire. Maybe not a literal fire, maybe not suicide, but giving up, stopping, quitting. Giving up on your ministry because you're so discouraged. Giving up on your sobriety. 
because it's so hard. Giving up your virginity. Yeah, I said it. Because the enemy would love nothing more for you to go, it's not that big of a deal. Don't do it, young people. Giving up on your marriage. We throw ourselves into fire in different ways, but the root spirit is often the same. It's a spirit of oppression that causes mental anxiety, anguish, stress, fatigue. And it makes you want to give up. What's the point? This is worthless. It's senseless. I don't understand. Why is this so hard? Why keep working on a marriage, ministry, sobriety, purity? It doesn't seem like it helps. It doesn't seem like it goes anywhere. Nobody else around me is really doing these things. And like David, there seems to be enemies on every side. You always feel like you're fighting or fleeing someone or something. And it's a terribly hopeless feeling. And that's why so many will just throw up their hands and say, I'm done. I give up. I'm not doing this or this or this or this. I'm not standing for this. I'm not fighting for this anymore. I'm just done. Please hear me. The spirit of depression that makes you want to give up is not of God. It's not of God. Christ came. He said, I came to bring hope. Hope to the poor, to the brokenhearted, to those who are bound, prisoner to something, physically, spiritually blind, healing for those bruised, battered, or broken. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and love and of a sound mind. Folks, there's a, there's a full-on onslaught against us. And, and it starts not just in all oh, your actions. It starts with your thinking, your brain, the way, that you, the way that you process information. Because if he can just discourage, discourage us, our mission statement at this church is experience hope, offer hope. But think about it. How can a child of God experience hope and offer hope if he or she is under constant mental distress and anguish? You can't. So therefore, oppression will keep you from being who God wants you to be, going where God wants you to go, doing what God wants you to do, and living the way that God wants you to live. I just want to say, don't feed into that. Hear me. Do not quit. Do not give up. Do not, do not stop. You might be fighting a spirit of oppression today, and although it feels hopeless right now, God's promises are never based on feeling. They're based on truth, and the only truth that we can always stand on is the truth of the Word of God. So when your heart starts lying to you and your mind starts lying to you, go back to where truth is. Open up Scripture. Go grab your harp and start to say, I got to get, right now there's enemies all around. My mind's going all different places. I got to get to the altar. I got to begin to open my mouth. I got to begin to strum that harp. I got to begin to remember, no, hold on a second. I'm not going with my heart. I'm not going with my mind. 
mind. I'm going with truth. I'm going back to the basics, back to the word of God. In our opening passage, Isaiah prophesied about trading beauty for ashes, joy for mourning, a garment of praise for a spirit of heaviness. It's time for a trade today for someone. You've been carrying the ashes. It's time for something beautiful. You've been carrying the mourning. It's time for joy. You've been carrying around a spirit of heaviness. It's time to put on the garment of praise. It's time for a trade today. And I'm just about done. Our lives will change when we're able to trade heaviness for praise. You might think sometimes, oh, it's just a bad day. It's been a, it's been a tough week. I'm just not feeling myself. Stop sometimes, child of God. It might be more spiritual than you think. Stop. Now, hang on. It's not a bad week. It's not a bad day. It's not a me being discouraged. This is, this is, something, this is something spiritual. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to grab my harp. I'm going to go begin to lift my voice. I'm going to get to an altar. Sometimes the, the, the times when you're feeling least like coming to an altar are the times you need it the most. Yes. I'm getting ready to open the altar. Flesh might be going, I don't feel like it. I can guarantee you, David did not feel like it. Based on what we just read, he says, no, but I got to get my mind right. Why am I feeling so discouraged? I'm going to go get my heart, and I'm going to get to an altar. Our circumstances won't even need to change once we do that because God will change us. Maybe he doesn't change our circumstance, but he changes us when we make the intentional choice of, I'm not wearing heaviness anymore when praise is available. It takes a conscientious decision, though, to take dominion over every oppressive thought and negative word. It's very difficult to live an overcoming life when all we speak is negativity. Don't speak it. And I'll close with this. Again, the very first message that Jesus Christ ever preached publicly. Luke 4. Here's what Jesus says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. He hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. Jesus says he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted you brokenhearted today? Jesus came for you to preach deliverance to the captives. You stuck in bondage over something? He can set you free. The recovering of sight to the blind to set liberty to them that are bruised to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he closed the book and gave it again to the minister and sat down. The eyes of everybody were fastened on him. And Jesus said, this day, this scripture, it's fulfilled. And so as you stand to your feet today, I will boldly say what Jesus said, and that's this. On this day, this scripture is fulfilled. There is hope today. Someone needs to hear this. There is hope 
today. She walked in feeling just a little bit hopeless for that situation. And God is reminding you, get that in my presence. Do you have enough faith to believe? Instead of giving up today, grab the harp. Come to an altar. Bring the burdens. Let the Lord heal you. Trust Him that He can still deliver someone from addiction. He can still get somebody out of bondage. Ask Him to open your eyes and reveal the path in front of you. If you're depressed and discouraged today, I do believe God can still touch someone's emotions. And so I invite you right now to bring that, to grab the harp, and to get to the altar. Jesus, I pray right now, God, that you have spoken to us as a church. To those online, Jesus, I know that there is discouragement at times in this human walk. At times, there's just we just got to get ourselves to an altar and go, God, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief, God. But Lord, I'm trading beauty for ashes. Lord God, I'm ready to make a trade today based on words that you spoke and said in this day it was fulfilled. God, I know that there are some big needs, some big situations. But God, I also know that I serve a big God. And I can bring this to you, Lord. Help us today, I pray. As we make this trade in an altar today. In Jesus' name.